Are you an ambitious, driven entrepreneur starting to feel overwhelmed, maybe a little trapped by your business? Well, I have a solution for you. It is the five-day bottleneck to breakthrough challenge, where in an hour a day, we will give you the roadmap, the blueprint, the treasure map to where you can find yourself with more free time, more freedom of money, and a more valuable business. Hope to see you soon www.bottlenecktobreakthrough.com. The financial besties are back. And in this episode, we are going to be talking about planning to build your personal and business wealth. Playing on our last episode where we talked about where can you find the pots of money in your business. This is The Real Bottom Line where we tell entrepreneurial stories about true grit and perseverance from frontline business owners themselves. Now, let's get started. Hello and welcome to The Real Bottom Line with Francis Shagan and Wendy Brookhouse Financial Besties Edition. Welcome, Francis. Hi, it's so much fun to be here. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> and this is maybe my favorite topic, Francis. We're going to talk about building wealth and being intentional and deliberate about it. And I could listen to you talk about this all day. Let's go. <laughs> well, we won't be all day. I promise no, you. We won't. So we talked about pots of money last time. And so, you know, we filled up the shock group. We've invested in our business to the point where we are comfortable. And then we have to decide what's next. And so one of the things that we need to think about when we are investing in our business is our end game. When I say that, are you building a business that someday you will sell, transition down in the family, or will you uh, have your employees buy you out? These are important things to know, because if you're not building something, you're building a professional services corporation, and it's all about you, and no one else can ever do it, then how we accumulate personal wealth may be different than if we're building something that can sell. Does that make sense, Francis? Absolutely. It's a matter of where you're holding the money for the long term. Yeah. And there's some considerations. That's one of the considerations. And so the end game and understanding that the strategy, if you are not going to sell your business is going to be, are we uh, saving inside of that? Or are we pulling it all out and making it personal uh, and saving in the, the buckets that we're allowed? And I call them buckets, Francis. Uh, I don't know if that's good or bad, but I think of investing uh, and I'm thinking long term, at some point, um, I want to have my money coming from different sources to fund my afterward life, if you will. And so, but we all have buckets that we can be filling up along the way. And so I like to look at uh, those different buckets. And if you're investing personally, most people will recognize that a couple of the buckets they have would be like RRSPs and tax-free savings accounts. Those are personal buckets. And then you have to decide how much are you gonna fill and then you get to decide what you put it in. So those are a couple of the ways I like to look at it, right? Because sometimes I see uh, people saying, oh, I have mutual funds, therefore I have RSPs. No, mutual funds can be all kinds of different things. They can be in different buckets. There's stuff, mutual funds are things you can put in a bucket. Right. So can I get some clarity? So RRSPs are basically that's retirement. Yeah. Right. Is TSFA a, a retirement as well? Or can it be used for other things like vacations or house or something? I prefer to use it for longer term savings. And I'll tell you why, Francis, because 
the RSP bucket and the TFSA bucket have, I call it, they have umbrellas over them because they're registered plans, meaning that as the money grows, it is protected from taxation by uh, the, our friends at CRA. So knowing that, I would love to see most people's TFSA money invested in longer term strategies that will have greater growth than, say, a high interest savings account. Right. Right. And, um, and for the long term, then you're also you're looking term. at ideally you're looking at taking the money out when your tax, uh, when your income is lower so that you're not getting hit with higher tax. Is that so, am I reading no. that right? Let's go back. RSP, okay. you get taxed on, you get, you save tax on the way into an RSP and you get taxed right. on the way out. Right. Tax-free savings account. You don't save taxes going in, but you do not get taxed on the way out. So okay. that's when, my interpretation. Okay, uh, so I was under the impression that you would get taxed on the growth in the TFSA. You do not. Oh, okay. That's cool. the umbrella effect because it's a registered product. Yes. So that saves you that. That's why if you have investments and they're earning, you know, five, six percent versus a one percent savings account, wouldn't you right. rather have that growth of the five to six percent protected because the one percent is so small? Right. Yeah. So for your most immediate concerns, I would most likely say, hey, go high interest savings account, but don't put it in the TFSA bucket. Okay. okay. Are there restrictions on taking money out of the TFSA? No, you can take it out. And what's a nice feature about it, whatever you take out, uh, you can actually recontribute the next year. Okay. Always, never, never stuff it back in in the same year because that can cause problems. But in the next calendar year, you can stuff it back in. Okay which can actually be quite, quite um, helpful. So if you had, if you had like right now, the limit on the tax-free savings account is 81.5 and 81,500. So let's say that grew to $100,000 and you took out the $100,000. When you go back the next year, your contribution room is now $100,000 plus that year's contribution limit, which I think is $6,000 next year. Does that help? Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Cool. So that's the personal ones. Those are the two big personal ones that people understand. Um, inside a corporation, we can also save. All right. And there's a couple of ways to do that. If you know that you are building a business to sell, I don't recommend you save inside that operating company. I recommend that we set up a holding company or a trust, something that is affiliated so that we can flow the money up to it on a tax-free uh, basis, and we invest inside of that. Because what we want to do is keep our businesses pure such that um, when it comes time to sell and we never know when that's going to happen, we don't have to worry about moving assets that could affect the value of, the, of, the, of your sale. So thinking gotcha. about those things, that's where the end game is so, so very important to understand. If Are you building something to sell? And if you are, what are the structures we're putting in place to be ensure that you're saving and accumulating your assets that are not going to be used in the business in a, in a, in a, a structured way. Right. So you can use whole co-trust or you can pull it out. But every time you pull money out of a company to put into your RSP or tax-free savings account, Francis, it then gets taxed at your personal rate before it comes out, before you can invest it. Just right. something to keep in mind uh, and balance that out. Yeah, yeah. That also plays a little bit into um, part of strategic wealth planning is also planning how you pay yourself out of your business, particularly if you're incorporated. And I know you're big on this, but you know we talk about dividends, meaning that we're flowing money out that's not expensed 
versus a salary, which becomes part of your overhead expenses. So they come from two different places and they're characterized different. Maybe you could talk a little bit about Francis. I'm sure you have a great way of explaining it that is easy to understand. Yeah. So, you know, paying yourself a salary is straight up. Everybody understands that. The, with the dividend piece, um, company is allowed to distribute its profit to the shareholders. So if you are the sole shareholder, then you get the, the dividends. Now, there is a, a, a minimum, there is a dividend amount that is non-taxable to you, um, but it is, it is part of all of your income. So um, it's not just tacked on top. Uh, so there's that one. That's one way of looking at it. Another thing to think about too is uh, family members as shareholders mm. being able to share dividends with, say, your kids. Um, you can do that. I don't know. Is, I don't know if that's something that you would do. Um, and then the other thing that you can do is have the corporation um, pay some of your personal expenses. Mm. Right. So yeah. the, one of the big ones is um, a car. Mine, so you, yeah. well, you own your car and you char charge your corporation a, a mileage fee. Yeah. And that will work. Generally, that works out better than having the corporation buy it because then the corporation owns it. And if anything happens with the corporation, then that's that. Yeah. Um, when it comes to the dividends to the family, also, this is where good tax planning is so, so, so very important. Uh, a few years ago, some rules came in about wh when are you allowed to use dividends for other family members who are not participating in the business. And so that's really important that if your spouse is working in the business, it's a lot easier to, to enact something like that than it is otherwise. And if your kids are under 18, we also want to be careful about that because the taxation on that can be quite high. So Absolutely. this oh. is a compensation strategy uh, that really needs to be really thought through, uh, depending on how much pot of money you have to play with to pay with dividends that you're going to want to have a strategy session um, right. to understand what, yeah, makes and what else is going on in your family and, and in their lives as well. Absolutely. And figuring that out. So and but. And then when those strategies also directly affect, you know, if you're paying yourself a nice salary, you also get to build RSP room, that type of stuff. So there may be, you know, maybe an RSP strategy does make sense if you're on salary versus dividends versus whatever. So there's a lot of pros and cons to that to be thinking about, but definitely taxes has to be a big part of this equation, Francis, because uh, I am in favor. I love what my tax money does for me my health care, other things. Um, but I also don't want to overpay. I want to pay what is fair and what I am required to. I do not wish to go over. And I think with proper planning, these investment strategies for wealth building can really, really help uh, make sure you're minimizing your taxes. Yeah. yeah. And then, because, uh, you, you know, you also have to look at those taxes, not only based on how you, what buckets you're filling today, but how will that bucket when you start you know start pulling money out of it to live on how will that be taxed then so it's almost like you have to build on taxes today versus taxes tomorrow and understand um, how each of those things will play into it your business is making a profit you're growing but you may still feel like you don't fully have a grasp on how to make the best use of this success don't worry you're not alone 
Hi, I'm Wendy Brookhouse, creator of the Total Wealth Accelerator and host of this podcast. I've developed a quick and easy tool that will give you a detailed snapshot of where you're currently at in your business and wealth growth and how you can improve upon it. It's called your financial diagnostic score. It's completely free and you'll instantly get the results. So head over to TotalWealthScore.com right now and see where you can focus to grow your wealth. So you need a professional to help you. Oh my God. Absolutely. I, mean, I, I, would, I would never do this myself. It's <laughs> like this thick and it changes every year. So I'm a little, I, I, I know enough to attacks a lot of stuff to be dangerous because I'm quite geeky mm-hmm. about it. I really quite love that little <laughs> puzzle of figuring it out. But let's talk about the corporate buckets that we can invest in. So whether it's in your operating company, your holding company, or your trust, we've got some things that you can put inside your buckets, okay? Or here are the buckets. Um, You can also have a real estate inside. You can buy some real estate. Is that in your hold co? Is it has its own separate corporation? How is that structured? And now I want to layer on another consideration, liability. Yes. Because depending on where your assets are, will also um, decide to some degree whether they're available if you get sued for whatever reason to help fund a payout that you may become responsible for. So that also has to be layered in. And and let's debunk the myth that a corporation is a veil saying that you will you won't get personally sued. That is not true. You you anybody who's going to sue a corporation is going to sue the directors. Absolutely. And, and so that, that veil is gone. If you're a professional services professional like myself, and I suspect you too, uh, Francis, um, or doctors, dentists, lawyers, accountants, we have the ability to set up professional services corporations where we can um, build out, uh, you know, handle it as a corporation. But from a liability perspective, if I give poor advice, I'm still personally liable for that. It does that veil you're talking about does not protect me from poor advice. Right. Yeah. 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 Okay. So we've got things that we can put inside the corporation. We can actually uh, have corporate investments. We can have a corporate investment account that would be able. So that's a bucket. And inside that bucket, we can put stocks, bonds, ETFs, and segregated funds or mutual funds. Um, And how though, which ones you put in can directly affect um, how much you're going to get taxed on the growth, because that is an account that will not be sheltered from growth. And we also want to make sure that with the new small business tax rules, that that account doesn't start putting off too much income and put you offside so that you're losing some of your small business deductions. Then we also can look at life insurance as a bucket. And it's not talked about a whole lot, Francis, but it's it's actually one of my favorite buckets because it kind of does have an umbrella over it in that the money we put into it inside the, we can have a corporately owned life insurance policy that has an investment component to it and the growth of that can be sheltered from tax. So we quite love that product. And it's something that's really, it's really something to look at if you have an additional cash because it can also function as a couple of things. Uh, key man insurance. It can also, you know, be something as an asset that you can borrow against in the future for liquidity, et cetera. So can we dive into that a little bit more deeply? Yes, please. Yeah. So I have, so I have a corporate um, insurance on me Yeah. and the corporation pays the dividends. Um, isn't that just a service? The money's gone. 
it depends on the type of policy you buy, Francis. So if you bought a term policy, yes, the money's gone. It's just like my car insurance. You know, I have a price guarantee for a period of time and then uh, it goes up, whatever, right? And it's uh, unlike, unlike, except that I can't expense it. Like you said, it has to come out of retained earnings. I can also have a permanent life insurance policy, and that can be a whole life policy or a universal life policy. And this is where you really want to get an expert in, Francis, to decide which one makes the most sense, which one, given your situation, required flexibility, required amount on the amount you have to invest, that you're setting up the right account. And basically, in those, not only do you have a death benefit, but you have cash value that increases the death benefit as the policy grows. And then the beautiful thing about that is in, in, as life after work happens, you can actually leverage that policy and pull money out that can help become almost a, um, a pension for you in retirement. Right. So it's, so you pay your dividends and a part goes, I'm assuming to the service of they'll pay you when you die. Yeah. Um, but then part also goes into essentially an investment account. Yeah. Right? So it's, who chooses the investments? Depending on which one you buy. If you buy a universal life policy, you get to choose. If you buy a whole life policy, they choose. Okay. So there's, a, there's pros and cons to each of those types. And that's why I say you really need to consult with someone to understand all the variables and understand which ones make the most sense for you and how to structure it. Because you can, you, the, the way we can structure a, plan, uh, uh, a policy is, is so, there's so many options. And that's why we really need to understand the goals of the business, the goals of the business owner, um, all that type of stuff. And it's also an asset. Should it be in the operating company or should it be in the whole co or the trust? Like these are all the things you're going to want to work with your advisory team, including your advisor, your accountant, and your lawyer. Okay. And, and so this, this money that's in there, that's investing and it's growing, yep. that's your money, but it belongs there. So if I understand this right, you can take it out, but theoretically you owe it back. So when you, let's call it taking out, there's a couple of things. So typically what we recommend is that you don't withdraw the cash, but actually you put a policy loan in place. So okay. yes, technically you owe the money back. Here's how the insurance company looks at it. They go, well, if you pay it back, that's great. And if you don't, when you die, we're going to get paid off anyway. Right. So yeah. if you have a loan against the life insurance policy and you die, the life insurance policy will first pay off the loan and whatever's left will go into the death benefit and, and come out to the company to, and then out to your, uh, depending on how you've structured it, out into your, uh, your family. Yeah, to your named beneficiaries. Right. If it's corporately owned, we always have the corporation for tax purposes as a beneficiary. And then what happens when you die is this notional account called the um, corporate dividend account comes in place. And it's a notional account and it's a way you flow money out without, on a tax-free basis. Now, 100% of the death benefit on corporately owned insurance policies is not usually tax-free. There's a little bit that might be characterized as a dividend or something like that, but there's a small portion um, that uh, typically would have some tax uh, attached to it, and then the rest would come in tax-free. Okay. This is a very complex uh, discussion, Francis. So I guess the bottom line is, one, know your end game right? Because the end game determines the structure. 
the structure then um, knowing your end game we put the right structures in place to ensure that we're putting your extra cash in the right spot that protects you protect is protected liability but it's also protected uh, so that if you do sell it's out of the company and then we grow it in there and then inside whatever structure we do invest in on a corporate basis um, we can do stocks we can do mutual funds we can do ets we can do segregated funds and or we can do life insurance so there's a lot of options and some of the things i like to look at is your risk tolerance and liquidity requirements and those can help also be criteria for which ones you choose and when gotcha. that's a lot we've gone really technical here um, but i think we've done it in an approachable way um, i hope so yeah so I yeah. we need to let people know ahead of time that this is where we're going yeah it, it it is there's a once you once your profits are coming in then you i think it becomes actually more complex despite simpler because when you're when you're on the road to profit it's super clear what you're doing i'm just getting to profit now that i've got a level of profit that is reliable and repeatable and i have pockets of cash what am i going to do and that's when you especially need to be consulting with a team uh, uh, that can help you make the right decisions that will save you tax, liability, and um, and provide liquidity when necessary. And they'll take you through the process to help you come to the understanding yeah. of what it is you really want, and therefore, yeah. right? Because um, you know, the future you is coming, whether you want to deal with you or not, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're you know, very optimistic about future you. Future you is going to be have a blast, but we have to provide the funding for that. <laughs> <laughs> and how much that is, that is also part of the calculations that you should be doing. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. What what you want, what what kind of life do you want future you to have? And don't think that future you is just going to take care of it. Yes. So bottom line here today, the real bottom line is you have to be deliberate and intentional about building your long-term buckets of money. Thanks, Francis. Thank you. Wow, there was just so much learning in this episode. Do you want more? I have a special offer for The Right Entrepreneur, a complimentary one-on-one -on -one coaching session that is all about you, your business, and your goals so that you can accelerate your business and start to accelerate the growth of your network head over to wealthcoachwithwendy.com. There you will find a letter that kind of outlines all the details of this offer and also an application form. We have an application form because there's such a limited number of, of slots that we're opening up for this that we want to make sure that the people that um, uh, do are successful in getting the slot, we can make the biggest difference with. So head over to wealthcoachingwithwendy.com and apply today. Thanks.